0: Breaking down the latest controversies, political news, and other headlines. He has his finger on the pulse of what's happening. Now on The Lake Show, from Public Notice, here's renowned independent journalist, Aaron Rupar.
1: How do you like them apples? That intro sounded nice because we got a great guest. His name is Aaron Rupar from Public Notice. Joining us now on the John Schuster Cole Banker Hotline, how you doing, Aaron?
2: Hey, I'm doing good. That's an amazing open. Uh, you, thanks for putting that together.
1: You You're like it?
2: One of your producers, huh? You oh, like great. it?
1: Yeah, don't. Yeah. No, no, no. We we, we 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 got to give the uh, the brains of the operation here, at WCCO, Brad Lane. We got to give the program director. We have to give him the credit on that. So uh, we told him we wanted to do something for your appearances here on. Uh, this program, and he said that he would get it done, and that is the unveiling of it. So I'm glad that you give it a thumbs up.
2: Well, you you know, my last name can be kind of a tricky one to pronounce, and that was dead on because I get a lot of Rupert or, you know, various (laughs) mispronunciations, and uh, that one was dead on. So I I don't know if he knew that or if he just – you know, guess correctly, but the whole thing's amazing, so uh, thanks for putting that together.
1: Hold on, hold on. Aaron, he knows who you are. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> you're not going around. I can't remember who the former Viking player was, but but man, people know me in this town. Come on now. Oh, man, but that's, yeah, that, that's it, pretty it funny.
2: It happens. You know, it happens maybe like every couple months where I'm at a Wolves game or get carded. You know, someone will say, oh, I follow you on Twitter. Keep up the good work or something like yes. that. But, you know, I haven't quite hit that level of fame, not like you, you know, where – your face is all over the place, so I'm sure you get mobbed when you go to games or go out in the town. I d I don't quite get that, but every couple months someone right. will recognize me.
1: All right, so let me let me ask you let me ask you this though. All right, and be honest. Have you had um whether it was uncomfortable or just like it was it was cool, have you been recognized out in public by somebody and it got a little weird?
2: Man, you know, I don't really think so. I'm trying to think if there's ever been an occasion like that. I think pretty much every single time that's happened and it's happened dozens of times. Mm -hmm. It's been, you know, someone who's been a fan. Um, I can't think of a time where, you know, it's been confrontational or threatening or anything like that. I mean, certainly I get my share of that kind of anonymously, you know, through like, um, messages on Twitter or even people will text you if they find your phone number, things like that. But, um,
1: no, I, I don't think get that. Never
2: happened, but yeah, 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 I don't,
1: I don't get that. So so, 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 what I was, what I was angling for, and what I thought, and you just kind of, kind of vaguely touched on it is is the people that are fans or appreciate you, they can be awkward too, though, Aaron. Like I've been at Target or I've been certain places and people recognize the voice, whatever. And I'm, I'm just the type of person where, and, and, me, and you've, me and you have hung out. You know me. I'm just a straight-up dude. I'm like, I'm, like I don't, I'm nothing special. Just, you know, hey, it is what it is. We're, we're just hanging out, having a good time, whatever. But people don't necessarily view you that way, so they kind of want to put you in that special box or category. And so somebody, instead of, um, I'm just the person that wants to be um treated like everybody else but it sure. doesn't it doesn't work out that way because people be like i recognize your voice or you know and they make it a little <laughs> bit creepy as you're checking out at target and i'm like yeah okay uh, i get it i get it i get it so but it's all Yeah, i don't think i've ever
2: heard that yeah i mean it's, it's always been pretty cool and it's, it's kind of flattering because it's usually people who either read the newsletter or follow me on twitter or something like that so um no I, I can't think of an occasion where it's been kind of off-putting or Vibes have been weird or someone's, you know, said something kind of off, you know. So, uh, I guess give it time. You know, there, there's a lot of years left, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, I'll let sure. you know if that happens.
1: For sure. I, I implore everybody out there listening to the show and to this segment uh, to sign up for Aaron's um, newsletter. Uh, go to uh, publicnotice.co and subscribe to the newsletter. And, and the reason why I'm really emphatic about that tonight is, um, Aaron, is because... I just feel like we're at the end with Twitter. It just feels like any day now, it could be over, and I want people to know where to find your great information because as much as I like to tweet, um, I've not hopped on the TikTok craze. I never was a part of Snapchat. Yes, I'm on Instagram and and other social media platforms and stuff like that, but when I saw Elon Musk and he had the sit-down in the Q&A And he told, uh, who was it, Bob Iger or somebody from Disney that they could screw off or whatever, and I'm cleaning that up. (laughs) When when that happened, and the way that he was acting on that day, I was like, yeah, something's not right here. What what did you make of that?
2: Yeah. You know, he's been kind of acting like that for the better part of a year now. And, of course, you know, people speculate, you know, if he has some sort of drug habit. And I think he's been open that he kind of dabbles with ketamine, you know, which has side effects that can— result in being kind of unstable and erratic. Um, if you over, you know, if you overdo it, um, I don't know anything about that, but, um, you know, certainly even today, um, I don't know if you saw his tweets today where he was following up, you know, just attacking Bob Iger and, um, it's really ugly stuff. And you wonder if you're like a prospective advertiser, what you're thinking when you see him go after someone like that, you know, if if you advertise on Twitter and then decide to stop and maybe say something publicly, like you certainly wouldn't want Elon going after you like that. So, I don't think Twitter is going to go away anytime soon, but I do think it's kind of nearing a tipping point where yeah. it's just such a toxic place to spend time that you know why would you voluntarily do that? So, are you on Threads? By the way, I mean Threads are pretty I, solid. There are I'm on Threads. Out
1: there. I'm on Threads okay. and I'm on I'm on Spoutable as well. So yeah, I am on, on other platforms, just for sure.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I I don't really have like an exit plan right now, but you know, my friend Judd Legum, who publishes the popular information newsletter he's been very open and even posting on Twitter that he's trying to wind down his presence there and he's just using it to post his newsletters and not really tweet as much as he used to. So, you know, I see more and more people kind of making that leap off the platform, uh, deactivating their accounts. And uh, I'm not quite there yet because, you know, a lot of my audience is on Twitter. And for instance, like threads, you cannot access in the EU. And so, you know, for people who follow my work in Europe, I want to have them, you know, still be uh, a way to read it and still be in touch with them. And so, I don't plan to leave right now, but certainly, yeah, like you said, I mean, that interview last week—something's um, going very wrong with Elon, and um, you know, it just makes Twitter kind of uh, a bummer to just spend a lot of time on there.
1: Yep. All right, we got five topics I want to, or questions I want to ask you tonight here in this segment, and, and the first is: What do you make, or what do you think, is the impact of the conflict in Israel-Gaza um, on the Biden administration? I know that we are approaching an election year, and there are a lot of people that are looking at how the U.S. has dealt with the situation um, and how they have, um, you know, some of some of the choices that we've made, some of the decisions that have been made, uh, some of the public statements that have been, been made. And a lot of people are looking at uh, the Biden administration and uh, President Joe Biden in a very negative light with all of this.
2: Yeah, I mean, it certainly hurt him. Uh, you know, I saw polling today from CNN that had his approval rating at 37 percent, which I think is the lowest that it's been. <laughs> Since you know he began his presidency, so, so that's very discouraging. You know, I, I think that there wasn't really any way for him to handle it that would have satisfied everyone. I mean, of course, Israel has been a, a close ally since the founding of the nation, you know, back in 1948, and so the idea that Biden would have used a terror attack on Israel to kind of go full, let's you know, let's defund them militarily, let's not provide them with aid, that was never going to happen. Um, you know, it seems like by all indications, including things that Biden has said publicly. That he behind the scenes has been pushing netanyahu to use restraint and to minimize civilian casualties which you know is very tricky when you're conducting military operations in an area as small as the gaza strip is so you know i think he's been trying to kind of strike that balance and um i just don't know you know it's very difficult to know where that balance would be that could kind of please the most people or um you know limit the political damage to himself um the one thing i will say is that you know this is obviously a big deal right now and it's hurting biden's approval ratings It's really hurt his approval ratings among Democrats, but I think, you know, nine, 10 months down the line, I'm not sure if this is going to be the most salient issue as we head into the general election next year. And so, you know, certainly it's hurt him in the short run. I wouldn't at this point draw the conclusion that it's going to be something that really hamstrung, you know, that that really hurts him heading into the general. I think we just have to wait and see. And hopefully by the time we get to next summer, this uh, war is over because you know the longer it drags on, it's bad for absolutely everybody. It's, it's bad for Israelis. It's obviously bad for Palestinians. And on the domestic frontier, it's, it's bad for Joe Biden too.
1: Talking to Aaron Rupar, public notice newsletter here on the late show on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. All right, go ahead. Give me your takeaways from the uh, the fourth GOP debate. Your top takeaways.
2: Well, you know, we had a recap today in public notice that I did not write because uh, I had tickets to the Timberwolves game. I went to the Timberwolves game last night. I had watched the first three debates. Um, You know, I'd watched the first three of them very closely and and did big threads covering them. And by the third one, you know, like there was a little bit of intrigue just in Vivek Ramaswamy being the guy that everybody hates. And, you know, the question of like, is someone going to literally punch him on the stage? Um, But, you know, aside from things like that, there just isn't a lot of like policy intrigue and there's something kind of sad about these debates where you have know, the also rans debating and Trump isn't there and they're barely talking about him. I mean, it's kind of farcical. So, um, you know, our recap kind of centered on a lot of the bigotry that underpinned the debate where there's a lot of transphobia. There's a lot of fear mongering about immigrants, um, you know, a lot of attacks on wokeness, whatever that means. And so, you know, it's kind of an ugly affair. And to me, I'll be glad when they are done. Now, I don't know if you saw today that CNN is actually doing two more Republican debates one in January and one in February. And so, um, you know, when you look at Iowa and New Hampshire, which are the two earliest states in the primary, in those states, Trump is polling in the 40s. And so you could see a situation where, you know, if candidates start dropping out and support consolidates behind either DeSantis or Nikki Haley, it could get kind of interesting in those states and maybe Trump could have a bit of a run for his money, but nationally he's up over 60%. And so, you know, the primary really feels like a coronation instead of an actual race. And I think that kind of comes through in these prime, in, the, in the debates that have had very low viewership. You know, the ratings last night were one-third of what they were for the first one. And so I think everybody's kind of tuned this out, you know, including myself. Like I said, I was enjoying a, a pretty quality Wolves win at home and uh, trying not to think about it until I got home and had to edit the newsletter for today.
1: What did you think of Wemby?
2: I was, you know, he, he wasn't his finest hour last night. Um, he, you know, the, the very first play of the game, he had a nice putback tip over Rudy and uh, that was kind of his whole highlight of the night. I mean, I think he finished with like 10 and 10. So, you know, one thing I will say is that he is an absolute specimen. I mean, there was one point where he was guarding Nas Reed and you look at him standing next to Nas Reed and he's like a foot taller, you know, (laughs) and the wingspan is just crazy. And so, you know, he almost doesn't look human with the size that he is. And so, um, you know. The San Antonio, I think, actually has a pretty solid roster. It's kind of shocking that they've lost 15 in a row. I mean, not so in the sense that they're going to win a lot of games, but 15 yeah. losses in a row is kind of crazy. So, you know, I, I enjoyed that. And then when I got home, I had to, uh, you know, edit the post about the debate. So I caught up with it, but uh, I can't say I watched every moment of it.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, the House voted to censor uh, uh, Representative Jamal Bauman over the fire alarm incident. Uh, what, 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 are you, what are you hearing or seeing, or, or what is your take on that?
2: You know, so for people who haven't seen this uh, Bowman back, I think this was, this was in October when the voting was happening for house speaker uh, was trying to race to the floor of the house to vote and a door was closed in the area where the offices are for the representatives and uh, I think it was locked. And uh, instead of just finding a different exit from the building, um, you know, he pulled the fire alarm he claims that he was kind of panicking. Uh, trying to get out of the building in a hurry and didn't do this intentionally. the video kind of suggests that uh, there might be a little bit more to it and that maybe he was trying to you know pull it intentionally to disrupt the, yeah. the voting that was about to take place I think so, so I don't know <laughs> I, I can't weigh in on that I, I can't you know I can't uh, I don't know what his intentions were but um you know he was censured uh, the vote happened today, which is kind of like a you know rebuke a formal rebuke that the house does. It doesn't mean that he's going to lose any privileges or his status as a house member. So, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's it's kind of a whole lot of nothing. Although I did see that he has a credible uh, primary challenger now, um, which, you know, I don't think that this particular incident is the, you know, that's not the only reason for this, but he does face, you know, a challenge from someone who is more kind of in the centrist area of the party instead of being further left. So that'll be interesting to keep tabs on, but um, you know, the video kind of speaks for itself. Again, I don't know what his intentions were, um, the vote was bipartisan. There were a few Democrats who abstained from voting or voted present, but uh, you know, I think the fact that some Democrats voted to censure him kind of tells you all you need to know there.
1: All right, two final questions for Aaron Rupar from Public Notice Newsletter here on the Lake Show and News Talk eight three zero WCCO. A uh, Fox News, they <laughs> continue to characterize the uh, the Biden scandal, as they call it, as the biggest ever. Now we we, we know that this isn't true. I even saw a tweet of yours where you kind of retweeted uh, maybe some of the videos or something like that, whatever, and you kind of laughed out loud. We know it's sensationalizing, by, and this is flat out you know, untrue what they're saying. But how effective is this with the viewers of Fox News?
2: Well, you know, it's pretty effective even beyond uh, the viewers of Fox because the polling that's been done – you know, shows that people have real concern about Biden, you know, his ethical conduct or lack thereof, as people see it. And that, you know, there's kind of a perception that as crooked as Trump is, that Biden is, you know, close on the spectrum toward him, which, you know, I think is obviously incorrect. But, you know, I think when these guys like James Comer and Jim Jordan spend six months yelling about this stuff, you know, it does kind of permeate into people's brains in a way where maybe they, you know, get some false assumptions in mind. But, you know, the thing I will say is that even this week, You know, Comer was hyping this story surrounding Joe Biden going in 2018 to buy a truck for his son, Hunter, who at the time was in the throes of drug addiction. And so he couldn't get financing for a truck. So Joe went to the dealership with him. There's a photo of this. You know, he bought the truck and then Hunter paid him back in installments uh, for some of the money that Joe spent on this truck. And this was, you know, James Comer kind of hyped this as a big bombshell because the money that Hunter sent to his father came from an account that was commingled with some of his business dealings that he was doing it amounted to about four thousand dollars but you know comer was out there on uh tuesday or i think it was monday or tuesday of this week hyping this and the thing that i found to be kind of remarkable here is that you know in a normal political environment if you had the chair of the oversight committee hyping bombshell evidence as he puts it uh, you know in in the context of an impeachment inquiry like normally that would be front page news you know and people would be all about this and like you'd have a lot of cable news coverage But it just gets ignored by most people, CNN, MSNBC, because we all kind of understand what Comer is up to. He's BSing. He's lying. He's been exposed many times for hyping these big revelations that don't pan out to be what he says they are. So, you know, it's kind of a weird kabuki theater thing where, you know, they're timing this impeachment inquiry to really pick up speed in the spring, right when one of the Trump trials is occurring, the D.C. one. So you can see that they're trying to use this as kind of a political weapon against biden to make him seem corrupt and then also to minimize trump's misconduct and criminality you know by making it seem as though biden has done the same thing if not you know even worse because um you know they're trying to impeach and remove him here although that would never get anywhere in the senate with the democrats controlling it so you know it, it is effective in the sense that i do think it has hurt biden politically but there's no there there um at least not that we've seen and i think that the problem for comer is that when you hype these things over and over and they fizzle, you know, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf where after a while people just kind of tune it out. And I think we're already kind of seeing that.
1: Yep. Final thing uh, is governor Tim Walz uh, here in Minnesota, who is the chair of the democratic governors association. Is he about to emerge as a star nationally?
2: You know, I assume you're asking this because he was on CNN today doing an yep. interview and I posted some clips and, um, I was surprised how much pickup that got like he you know he really um, had a strong message on CNN where he had a quote to the effect of while all the states surrounding me are trying to figure out how to ban Charlotte's Web from libraries we're getting rid of school hunger by having free breakfast and lunch and uh, you know a lot of comments like that where he's drawing a contrast between Republican states and uh, what you know what we're up to here in Minnesota under his leadership and so you know he certainly has a very powerful position um, you know as the chair of the Democratic Governors Association and so I'm sure we'll be seeing and hearing lots of him, uh, you know, over this next year. And I did see even in just my own little Twitter universe, people hyping him as a possible 2028 uh, candidate, which I thought was, you know, maybe a bit much, but um, he's a very well-spoken guy and he's very effective. I've noticed this over time with him too, when he goes on TV or gives speeches in drawing a contrast, kind of speaking on behalf of democratic values and the successes he's had here, you know, democratic control of the legislature in realizing a lot of, progressive priorities and contrasting that with the culture warring in red states, the pushes to ban books and things like that. So, you know, he certainly got a lot of waves today, just out of a very short CNN interview. And if that's a sign of things to come, then I think we'll be seeing lots of him over the next year.
1: Hey, uh, always a pleasure, Aaron. I'm glad that you'd like the new open and uh, I will be talking to you soon, my man. Thank you so much. Happy yeah, ho- Thanks
2: for having me on. Happy yep, holidays.
1: Yep. You too. All right. Take care. That's Aaron Rupar. Check him out. It's time for the newsletter, public notice uh, newsletter. Uh, right here on the, uh, the Good Neighbor News Talk, 830 WCCO. Uh, to sign up for the newsletter, we'll make sure that we put in the link or something like that, or we'll retweet his link that shows his, uh, how you get to his newsletter. But it's publicnotice.co, um, and I think it's backslash subscribe. All right, so we will take a break. We'll come back. Uh, a couple other things I'm going to get to before we talk uh, um, to Matthew Collin from Purple Insider next.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Hey, real quick. I don't know if you laughed inside the way that I was laughing. But, um, <laughs> the James Comer thing where he was trying to, like, Dude. Don't say you got the goods and you don't have the goods. Don't say that. Don't lie to
3: the people. I got the goods. It's a dog whistle. Dude. That's all it is.
1: All you have evidence of is that President Biden bought his son a vehicle and his son's paying him back on the damn bill. (laughs) That's all you have evidence of. Like, what are you doing
3: here? But but there's a transaction that happened between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Any oh. transaction is going to be seen as a liability. I, it's it's can, incredible. Can, can,
1: hold on, hold on. With all due respect, can't some politicians just look in the mirror and say, if I say this to the American public, I'm gonna look foolish as hell? Well, why can't some of them understand that? No, because some of them uh, don't care.
3: No, not only do they not care, but the individuals that you're talking to are believe that they know that you can tell them anything you want and they will believe that like there are certain individuals that when it comes to the individual the the information that's being put out there there's no critical thinking involved it's just a matter of okay this person is telling us this then it absolutely has to be true it doesn't take a lot to step back and look at other sources of information and if five pieces of information are telling you one thing, and this is what you're hearing from James Comer <laughs> to, to maybe say, uh, OK, maybe James Comer's not telling us.
1: You look dumb, dude.
3: But, well, they don't say he does. Yeah, no, oh, no, they, no. Don't no, the they, they don't care. That's thing. they don't. They don't care. It's like the, the more it doesn't matter as long as they gaslight, think you gaslight. believe it. Yeah. You're going to believe it. You're going to eat up whatever we tell you. So we can tell you whatever we want because you're going to believe it. That's that's kind of where a lot of these politicians are. And it's I mean. A little bit of critical thinking with this goes a long, long way, but that's, I mean, that train left the station years ago. Oh,
1: man. All right, 651-461-9226. We'll take another brief pause. Uh, And coming up next, we're going to get into Minnesota Viking football with none other than our guy, Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. He joins us next. Always fun to talk to Matthew Collar from Purple Insider here on the Lake Show News Talk 830 Show, courtesy of the John Schuster Goldbaker Hotline. L- let me start tonight, Matthew, with a non – can I ask you a non-football question?
4: Uh, I am always along for the ride with you, Henry, so wherever you take this bus, I will go.
1: Well, I, uh, I know that you're not just more than – I know you're more than just a, a football guy. I know you're just a massive sports fan. Um, I wanted to ask you about the NBA in-season tournament. Thumbs up or thumbs down on it? Because in my opinion, it's been an utter success.
4: Yeah, I think it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, some of the courts might be regrettable the way that they've painted them. But, you know, I think that I I like when things are tried, right? I mean, if we're just going to roll out November and early December basketball and have nobody care until Christmas. And I'm sure Adam Silver's heard that so many times. Don't, you know, wake me up with the NBA until Christmas to put something on the line for these guys. Extra cash is good for them to play that way. Uh, I like the point differential element of it where teams got to keep playing all the way through the end, as opposed to just, you know, giving up in the third quarter or something and, you know, making it a little bit unique, a little bit interesting. I I I like it. I like the try. I'm sure there's some things that they could, you know, tweak or whatever else that could be better in the future. But I think it's definitely added a lot more juice, uh, even though people were rolling their eyes. Um, and it's worked for this year. And uh, I was thinking about it. Uh, tickets are very expensive, but I'm going to Vegas, and I was considering trying to go to the final there.
1: Well, let me. What well, are you going? Are you going to the actual? You going to the Raiders game, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm going to be there. I'm headed out tomorrow. Yeah, so I'll be there Saturday night.
1: Yeah, to to go to the to the uh, to the the night prior. They're going to have the championship game of the end season tournament. Yeah, I looked into um, going to Vegas for both the. The, the Raiders, the Vikings Raiders game and the in season. And man, I'll tell you, when I looked, what was it like six or seven weeks ago? The flights were like twelve hundred bucks. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> so I so I said, I'll just get my information from uh, from one Matthew Collin. I'll be good to go. Yeah, that's the, you got to have Chad Hartman money if you are going to be going do something like that. Exactly, man, and I don't have anywhere near Chad Hartman money. All right, <laughs> l- 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 let's let's talk about uh, the Vikings as we look forward to this weekend in Vegas against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, the quarterback was named; it will remain for the short for the uh, for the time being, Joshua Dobbs. Your thoughts on that particular decision?
4: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was the right way to go. I, I feel like
1: of all the you know, podcasts
4: and things that I've done and the tweets that I've gotten, I've really struggled to find anybody who was against this except for the Jaron Hall people. And look, I mean, that's great, but Jaron Hall wasn't even in consideration for this. I mean, it was entirely uh, Josh Dobbs or Nick Mullins. Uh, They look at Jaron Hall as a guy that is very much for the future, probably a future backup, but, you know, very, very inexperienced. Not somebody that you would like to throw onto the field and say, hey, all the pressure of all these veteran players who have you know, fought this hard uh, to get here, it's all on you to try to get us to the playoffs. I mean, I think uh, Josh Dobbs is much more equipped for that. And also, you know, Kevin O'Connell, I think, did a really good job of laying out how he went back through the film. And a couple of things that he found were, one, he could have game plan better, which we all knew. And we all said, hey, man, what was that game plan? Well, it's interesting to hear the coach say I kind of agree with you. <laughs> like, I, I agree that, right? I mean, usually they'll say, usually they say, you fools out there. You The fans are dumb and the media is dumb and everything else. But Kevin O'Connell was like, yeah, actually I need to do a better job of working to Josh Dobbs' uh, strengths. And also he, you know, pointed out that when he looks back at that Chicago game, there were a lot of people who let down Josh Dobbs. I mean, Jordan Addison has worst game as a pro. The offensive line probably had their worst game of the season, uh, in that game. And, you know, they, they still had a chance to win it. Now, that doesn't mean that Dobbs was actually good and you don't know anything. Of course, he was terrible in the game, but there was a lot more that went into it that they think they can correct with Dobbs and look I mean Nick Mullins has 23 interceptions and 17 starts in his career hasn't started a game since 2021 and oh by the way has been dealing with a back injury for most of the season I mean there's really there's really no other option here it's pretty much Dobbs or bust.
1: yeah I'm with you I, I, I mean I just I thought that all of the conversation about, and I'm not saying that Joshua Dobbs didn't have a terrible it was a brutal game like that was just bad but right after you had said essentially what, what we're talking about now about how they could have done better with the game plan but i also just there was no way in my mind that to, to to think that Joshua Dobbs shouldn't at least be given another opportunity to start after having a couple of good games then having a couple of bad games but now you get back Justin Jefferson i just to me that never made any sense
4: yeah, no, I totally agree. And not only that, but the Vikings actually had less yardage when Kirk Cousins started against the Bears. I mean, something about that Matt Eberflu's uh, scheme really gave Kevin O'Connell problems uh, this year. And, uh, you know, also how many games have we seen where Kirk Cousins has a similar game to that? He doesn't usually throw four interceptions, but he might throw one or two that are pretty gnarly. I think that's in part the Kevin O'Connell offense that you have to sort of live and die with at times, which is he wants to push the ball down the field. He wants his quarterback throwing the ball 15, 20 yards in the air down the field with timing patterns and everything else because this offense is designed for Justin Jefferson. So they were doing it without Justin Jefferson. And when Dobbs didn't see it there, he was usually able to make plays with his legs. And that was what kind of you know kept them going over those first few games but then Chicago came in with a really good rush plan, and you have to give them credit as well, that I'm sure the Vegas Raiders are going to try to do the same exact thing. But I think that what O'Connell has to do is work a lot more quick game for Josh Dobbs. He has never been a good intermediate passer, which Kirk Cousins is actually, that's his biggest strength, is throwing it you know, 14, 15 yards down the field to Justin Jefferson with good timing and accuracy. But that's not Josh Dobbs' biggest strength. Uh, getting him on the move a little bit. The play action and screen games have both been horrendous since Josh Dobbs took over, and what's what's a quarterback, especially a backup's best friend, play actions and screens. I mean, so there's, there's a lot that they can do that it shouldn't all be put on Josh Dobbs in a game like that. Uh, and also, we have to also look at the big picture here. I mean, three out of four games, Josh Dobbs gave them a chance to win. They need to win three out of five the rest of the way. So who's going to give him a better chance than that that you got right now? I, I don't think anybody.
1: Yeah, we're talking to Matthew Coller, Purple Insider here on the Late Show on News Talk eight three oh WCCO. All right, so um, have we heard from? Have you guys talked to Justin Jefferson lately? Like, where is? Uh, how is he feeling about himself, his body, his his injury, and all of that as uh, as he returns?
4: Yes, we did talk with uh, Justin Jefferson today. And, you know, his social media popped back up uh, so he could tweet about Little Caesars Pizza. Um, So just in in case you were worried, since he deleted his social media, it's back so he could put ads on it. Um, That was just a funny storyline during the absence that uh, he had to delete the social media because too many people's fantasy teams were being hurt by his absence. But, no, I mean, Jefferson said – his biggest goal, I mean, even though he can't reach 2,000 yards, which he hoped to do, is he's trying to get to 1,000 yards. He's trying to get to the playoffs. He's trying to get to the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, he's going to be all in over these last five games, and I think they will not regret sitting him out. And, uh, and even though maybe it cost him the Bears game, I don't know. But if he had come back and run five routes in the Bears game and then had to go sit on the sideline because he was injured, again, that would be pretty bad, and they would have no chance to chase the playoffs but you know the the thing about integrating Justin Jefferson is if you name a thing a receiver does he does it really well or amazing and those are the only two options there there is nothing that Justin Jefferson can't do so when we talk about like well how will he fit into the game plan mm-hmm. however they need him to fit into the game plan I mean if they need to throw uh, short little out patterns to get him the ball quickly or quick slants or whatever, or they need to throw bombs or they, whatever they need to do. Uh, he's going to be good at it. The other thing is, too, that, you know, this will be interesting because Josh Dobbs now has to prepare for some very different looks because opponents are not going to play them the same way. But those looks could really be beneficial. He's got on the same page very much with T.J. Hawkinson. And you don't cover Hockinson or Addison the same way when Justin Jefferson is out there. So if there's one argument for the Vikings shaking off that bad performance against the Bears and getting rolling here against the Raiders, it's that the best receiver on earth is back. Uh, that, that's a pretty good argument, I think.
1: Yeah. All right. So, so now that we are just days away and you're going to be landing your butt on a strip tomorrow, um, what concerns you about the Raiders? Because the, the Raiders... Um, have improved since <laughs> Josh McDaniels was fired, and Antonio Pierce has uh, has taken the the uh, he's moved into the interim position. Uh, what what about the Raiders? Do you like and dislike?
4: Uh, the only thing that is concerning about the Raiders is that they do have some guys who can cause you some problems on defense, and that starts with Max Crosby, who is not at a hundred percent, but even not a hundred percent, as one of the best players the entire NFL is still pretty darn good, and. Now, Brian O'Neill got the bye week, so that's good for him. But I thought he might have been wearing down a little bit going into the bye week. Uh, remember, he didn't have a full training camp, and you know he had dealt with that injury and the surgery and everything else in the offseason, and then had to play you know, 12 straight weeks on that. So I thought that that was part of what went into Montez Sweat, uh, ha- kind of having a field day against the Vikings. But then you know it comes right back, and it's this really difficult matchup. And the other thing is just the mentality of the Raiders. So they fired Josh McDaniels, and what happens when a coach gets fired is the team always wants to spend the rest of the season proving that it was the coach's fault and not theirs. And I think Antonio Pierce is the exact type of scrappy interim coach who's fighting for a career at the top kind of guy that you do worry a little bit about, right? I mean, remember when they played the Atlanta Falcons and the Falcons had just fired Dan Quinn. It might've been Raheem Morris. I forget who was even their, their uh, interim coach, but they came to Minnesota like ready to go. And I wonder about that same thing because all the players leaked everything they could about Josh McDaniels after that guy was fired. And so I think that they are playing hard, um, but gosh, their offense is just miserable and awful though. I mean, I like they have Devonte Adams, they have Josh Jacobs and they have some notable offensive linemen, but they have a fourth, you know, round draft pick starting quarterback, who really can't push the ball down the field. Doesn't scare you at all with his arm. I mean, this is this is like a Brian Flores field day, right? I mean, just send blitzes, confuse the guy, frustrate the guy. It just—it's I, I, it's really only Josh Dobbs turning the ball over that could cause problems here. Oh, and their kicker, Daniel Carlson, really good kicker.
1: Mm, okay, all right, but they got the Vikings winning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, it oh, would be, but you said that with confidence.
4: I mean, if they don't, then it's just over, and I don't know what we're going to talk about the rest of the time. Jaden Daniels. Let's talk about Jaden Daniels. We'll talk about the, football. That's what we'll appearance.
1: do. Yeah.
4: Well, we will, yeah, I'm always down for that. <laughs>
1: hey, good stuff as always, Matthew, man. I appreciate it, my man. All right. Thanks, Henry. All right. Take care. That's Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, uh, joining us here on The Lake Show. All right. We will take a break. We'll come back. We got headlines. That's what's next up on the show. All right, it's time for headlines here on the Lake Show. Chris Tubbs, let's dive in. I'm ready. I know you're ready to rock and roll.
3: Let's get to it here, Lake. Multiple people are without a home following an early morning two-alarm fire in Minneapolis near North Neighborhood on Thursday morning. Now, a Minneapolis fire responded around 321 a.m. Thursday to reports of a fire at the three-story apartment complex located at 1611 Plymouth Avenue North fire crews evacuated everyone safely out of the building initially finding fire on the apartment's first two levels fire quickly spread to the third level as firefighters worked to extinguish the flames no one was injured thankfully and an MTC bus was called into the scene to temporarily shelter residents from the cold fire crews used CPR to revive a cat that was found inside the apartment complex the cat which is expected to be okay was returned to its owner the cause of the fire is currently under investigation.
1: The only thing that I heard in this was cat. And I immediately thought of Carl Anthony Towns, the big cat. And I'm glad that the cat's okay. In all seriousness, yeah, you never want to see a house fire. You never want to see people uprooted from their homes, especially during the holiday season. There are, you know, look, there's never a good time to have to deal with something of this nature. It's easier to deal with though when the temperatures are better than when it's cold. And I'm not—I know it's not freezing out. I know it's not in the heart of winter, but still, you get my point.
3: Yeah, I mean, cold is cold, and the holidays are the holidays, no matter what. Kind of a a similar sort of something you were talking about last night, like British police have arrested a deputy U.S. marshal for allegedly sexually abusing a female passenger. his flight according to a report from nbc news citing sources familiar with the matter federal marshal was one of two deputies traveling on a delta flight from new york city's jfk international to london to help extradite a criminal defendant deputies were making the trip to bring a suspect wanted in brooklyn on federal fraud related charges back to the united states while heading across the pond a woman complained to the flight crew that she had been inappropriately touched by the marshal Two law enforcement officials said that the two federal marshals had been drinking during the flight. Second marshal was sent back to New York on Wednesday night without being charged. Metropolitan Police in London shares a statement on the incident, sharing that officers at Heathrow Airport were informed that the 39-year-old marshal had, quote, sexually assaulted other passengers and crew while on the flight and was arrested on suspicion of sexual assault. He remains in U.S. custody. A spokesman for the U.S. Marshals Service Noted that it was aware of the deputy uh, and that the deputy exhibited inappropriate behavior while intoxicated on an inbound flight. The agency is cooperating with law enforcement in the U.K. and other agencies. Unbelievable.
1: We just had the uh, the topic last night involving the gentleman that um, has been accused by a St. Paul woman of assaulting her on her um her transport Mm -hmm. from a jail in Texas, I think, all the way here. And then he was also involved in other assaults that occurred in New Mexico, I think.
3: Wasn't there one in, like, Indiana as well? Like as he's
1: transporting these other women. It just, come on, a U.S. marshal? Come on, what are you doing, man? That's
3: disgusting. Yeah. Hey, and uh, I think this will be the last story we'll get to, like, McDonald's has a burger strategy to spark growth in the next few years, and it can be boiled down to one word, More. In the United States and a number of markets around the world, having a larger burger is an opportunity. CEO Chris uh, Kamzinski said in an interview, we're working on that. That's something that you should expect in the future. Now, it's not just more burger in your burger. It's more everything because the chain plans to open thousands more restaurants. It wants to add 100 million members to its loyalty program, which nudges customers into spending more. It's investing in more marketing campaigns to get people craving their burgers and fries, and increasingly, the chicken sandwiches too. What a surprise! Apparently, chicken sandwiches are are a thing. I hadn't heard that before. Now, McDonald's has already been working out a plan to improve how its burger tastes, but it's learned that in addition to softer buns and gooier cheese, people also want a more sizable burger. Now, that's a similar approach to how McDonald's landed on the McCrispy chicken sandwich after feeling for years to come up with the right recipe and branding. Now, noted chicken amounts for $25. Uh, they noted chicken amounts for $25 billion in annual sales across the system. Now, McDonald's plan for bigger burgers comes at a time when many consumers are looking for ways to spend uh, just a, a little bit less. And as a pricey McDonald's burgers become something of a symbol of inflation. In addition to larger burgers, McDonald's wants to be everywhere. They plan to have 50,000 locations globally by 2027. They said in a release as of September 30th, there were roughly 41,000 McDonald's establishments in all. It seems like it's more than that. Man. I was going to say it seems McDonald's like seems
1: like it's everywhere. Yeah.
3: I, I mean, McDonald's 41,000 does seem that seems awfully, light, awfully
1: low. That yeah. seems light. It,
3: it, yeah, it, it does. I mean, maybe that's just in the Midwest. But I call uh, I call baloney on that forty one thousand McDonald's. All
1: right, coming up next, cause sports, betting, and gambling have long term effects beyond just getting addicted to gambling. We'll get to that next year on the Lake Show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?